beautiful for Christ, we are useful to Christ, cause we're youthful for Christ, and the day with Sepia Snuddies. <laughs> Welcome to the Youthful for Christ podcast, a place where you hear what God has to say to you. Yes, we are youthful for Christ, we are in the world, but we are not of the world. And at Youthful for Christ, we bear the yoke in our youth. Youthful for Christ, you're welcome. to you and peace from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I'm so happy to have you here today, the last day of the month. It's indeed a tremendous privilege to be with you here today. The today, Friday, the 30th of April 2021. And I welcome you to the Youth for Christ podcast, a place where you hear what God says to you. I'm so happy to be with you today. It's indeed a tremendous privilege. And I thank God who has given us the privilege to see the last day of the month. And you're welcome once again to another splendid episode of what God says to you today, the podcast of the Youth for Christ team, the place where you hear what God says to you. And just like we know that the Youth for Christ podcast comes live on air every Friday, and I must tell you that it is not a coincidence. And when you look back at the event that has happened in the last recent month, you will see that it has always been on Fridays. And I will say again that it is not a coincidence. On the 25th of December 2020, it was Christmas and it was Friday. And on that day, we had our special Christmas edition of the Youth for Christ podcast where we discussed about the mystery of the incarnation and also on the very first day of this year january 1st 2021 was also friday and on that day we had our special new year edition where we talked about another new year resolution or a transformation and also we're supposed to be here live on air on good friday but Due to one technical issue or the other, we were not able to come live on air. And on that day, we were supposed to discuss on the cross of Christ, but we are not able to be live on air. And we really apologize. We really apologize for that technical issue that made us not to be live on air on Good Friday. But it has not been a coincidence and it is not a coincidence that you guys podcast is released every friday and all these days has always been on fridays but nevertheless we're so happy to have you here back once again we're so happy it's indeed a tremendous privilege to have you here back on the youth for christ podcast the place where you hear what god says to you Because of the so much misinterpretation and confusion between the legalists and the antinomians 
Holiness has become a word that makes us feel uneasy. To one of this group, it is an edge, while to the other, it is a cage. And there's so much confusion here and there. And because of that, on today's episode, we will be discussing understanding true holiness. Understanding true holiness. And on this episode, we will be considering what is holiness. What can be holy? Threats to your holiness. How to avoid both extremes. The second London Confession. The words of true holiness. All this and many more we will be discussing on today's episode. And it promises to be mind-opening, inspiring, and revealing. So wherever you are, just relax. Go nowhere. We'll be back shortly after this break. It is the Youth for Christ podcast. You are listening to what God says to you today, brought to you by the Youthful for Christ podcast. The Youthful for Christ is a team of young minds alike who are burning with zeal for Christ. We are given the mandate of Psalm 51 verse 13, the Ministry of Reconciliation. Our vision and mission includes, but not limited to, reaching out to more than 1,000 youths daily, teaching the young ones to be in the world and not be of it, imparting the youths for their vision, supporting them for their purpose and empower them for their mission. Our motto is John chapter 17 verse 16, in the world not of the world, and our slogan is Lamentations 3 verse 27, because at Youthful for Christ we are known for bearing the yoke in our youths. Join us today and be part of this great work of God. And so on today's episode, we'll be taking our text from the book of Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26. Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26 from the New King James Version. And it says, And you shall be holy to me, for I the Lord am holy and have separated you from the peoples that you should be mine. That is Leviticus chapter 20, verse 26 from the New King James Version. And when God was forging a relationship with the Israelites, He told Moses to give the following instructions to the entire community of Israel and they told Moses he said you must be holy because I the Lord your God am holy that's Leviticus 19 verse 2 God was calling his people into relationship with himself and he wanted his people not only to survive the experience but to be nourished by it but for that to happen they needed to know the ground rules needed to come to him on his terms and not theirs now the hebrew word for holiness is kodes i don't know if i pronounced that very well but it is a word that highlights the realm of the sacred in contrast in contrast to everything common and profane the adjective quotes, which means holy, refers to God and what belongs to Him. 
In various places in the Hebrew scripture, God called by the title, the Holy One of Israel. You can see that so much in Isaiah. God refers to himself as the Holy One of Israel. Now, having known that um, the word holy refers to God and what belongs to him, the question is, what can be holy? If God is holy, what also can be holy? And I want you to know that time, space, object, and people, all of these things can become holy if they belong to God. All this can become holy if they belong to God. Now, the temple in Jerusalem was considered holy space. And the objects used in worship, holy objects, the Sabbath and feast of Israel were considered holy days or seasons. And the Israelites were called God's holy people by virtue of belonging to him. And if there is anything you should know about holiness, is that holiness should always be unto the Lord. Holiness should always be unto the Lord. If you read Zechariah chapter 14, verse 21, you will see the phrase, Holiness unto the Lord. And anytime we make it unto men, it's wrong and misguided because it's just pride and pretense. Jesus condemned the Pharisees not for their acts of piety, but because they performed them to impress others. Not only did they live by a long list of religious do's and don'ts, they also kept a scorecard on others who didn't live up to their list and denounced them for it. Just like the parable that Jesus told us, those two men who went into the synagogue, the Bible said, Jesus said, one was a republican and a publican and the other was um, a Pharisee and the, and the publican went into the temple he was so heartbroken he couldn't even dare lift his face up to heaven he just knelt down wherever he was and was beating his breast and he was praying the only thing that was coming out of from him was oh lord be merciful unto me this wretched sinner and the other who was a pharisee was standing at the other side was looking at the publican and what he was saying was that god i thank you because i am not like this man i did this i do this i do this i do this i do this i fast three times a week i do this i do this and you see that everything he was talking about was full of human achievement they do it to impress others and also they denounce those who don't do it and the Bible said that at the end it was this man who asked for mercy that went home justified other than the other one who thought he end everything by his own merit and virtue so because of that the, the Jesus denounced the Pharisee. He denounced them. He denounced them. And because of this, because of this perception, some of us we grew up in homes and churches that did things like this. And when the word holiness is mentioned, we squirm and think of Christians 
with somber faces and pointed fingers of accusation. But I want to tell you today that that is not Bible holiness. That is legalism. And God hates it and the Bible condemns it. Today we're talking about understanding true holiness. And to understand what true holiness is, now think of the word contamination. It's one word every hospital's it's one of every hospital's greatest concerns. It's why doctors in an operating room insist that their surgical instrument be constantly sterilized. Caps, gowns, and gloves worn and the environment in the room maintained at a temperature where germs can't live. Now, are you getting the picture? Are you getting the idea? Now, adjust the lens a little bit and you will see the spiritual application. True holiness does not isolate you from the world. I want to tell you, true holiness does not isolate you from the world rather from the world rather it insulates you from its contaminant in john chapter 17 verse 16 jesus said i am in the world but i am not of the world and that is the motto of the youtube for christ podcast in the world not of the world true holiness does not insulate you from the world it does not isolate you from the world rather it insulates you from its contaminant Many people today, you see them, they are heavily minded and they are earthly useless. Because you are holy, because you want to live a holy life, does not isolate you from the world. It does not, does not take you out of the world. Rather, it insulates you. It protects you. It shields you from the contamination in the world. And that is the beginning of understanding true holiness. When we come back from this break, we'll go on to talk about the Second London Confession. And this is a very interesting piece. You would want to hear and see what was said in that confession of the Second London Confession. And I know you wouldn't want to miss this, so just sit back. We'll be back after this break. It is still what God says to you today, the Youth for Christ podcast. We'll be back shortly. Go nowhere. Hello everyone around the world, I'm Reverend Kwan Obihan, the Senior Pastor of Shortsville International Christian Center. Keep listening to What God Says to You Today, a podcast by Youthful for Christ Team, a place where you hear what God says to you. God bless you. Alright, you're welcome back from the break and thank you for staying tuned. And so far on this episode, we've been discussing about understanding true holiness. And just like we said from the beginning, that because of the so much misinterpretation and confusion between the legalists and the antinomians, holiness has become a word that makes us feel uneasy. And to one of these groups, holiness simply means dotting every I and crossing every T. And to the other group, holiness is doing, is, is, is abstaining from all the wicked and sinful things they would love to do and doing all the righteous and good things they would not ordinarily love to do just to make heaven 
and because of the so much confusion and misunderstanding it is paramount we have a true understanding of what true holiness is all about and that is why we want to consider the chapter 13 and paragraph 1 of the second london confession second london confession and the first thing i want us to understand is that the gospel event constitutes the fountainhead of our sanctification and in first corinthians chapter 2 verse 2 we read for i decided to know nothing among you except jesus christ and him crucified Lest anyone should think that sanctification is our contribution to the working of to the working out of our salvation the confession grounds it in the gospel event we are now in union with our lord and savior it was god who called us to christ with a calling that worked spiritual resurrection in our heart and it was god who did what needed to be done to provide a righteousness not our own a justification that is in no way dependent on our endeavors the chief event of history is the cross without the death of our lord all would have been lost and eternal purpose of god the renewal of creation the renewal of the race now without the lord's intervention hopelessly careening towards only eternal damnation and nothing more all lost but christ appeared and everything is changed and as the old testament prophet looked forward to his appearing in hope we look back to his salvific walk our hearts few and our mouths open with praise to such a god who would in mercy provide what we never could have accomplished and the second point i would like us to understand is that sanctification is progressive now this i say and testify in the lord that you must no longer walk as the gentiles do in fertility of their minds this is ephesians chapter 4 verse 17. this is not easy this is not to say that sanctification may be represented on the graph as an ascending line of progress with inevitable percentage of growth year by year Though it is God's work, it varies as the renewed man engages his three great enemies. First, the world and its siren song. Second, Satan and his wives. And the third, the flesh with its strong inclination. This flesh with its strong inclination. We, as we grow in grace, we grow in grace, but in the falling world, that growth is uneven in its progress. Nevertheless, it is progress. Sanctification is progressive. And another point I would like us to understand is that our sanctification is both forensic and experiential. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 11b, we read, But you were washed, you were sanctified. And in 1 John chapter 3, verse 7, it says, Little children, let no one deceive you. Whoever practices righteousness is righteous as he is righteous. Now here are two great truths. We, like the verses of the tabernacle, have been declared to be holy. We have been separated to the purposes of God. We have been delivered from the kingdom of darkness and cleansed by the Lord. We have become citizens of the kingdom of God's Son, and though we are holy, separate, and cleansed by the Lord, we still have sin remaining in us. And the zeal is uneven, 
and the effect is uneven but the struggle will produce victories that are genuine victories that are real in our experience another thing to understand is that sanctification is the work of the holy spirit and in galatians chapter 5 verse 16 we read but i say walk by the spirit and you would not gratify the desires of the flesh salvation is the work of our triune god the father chose us in eternity the son came in the history of this world to die in our place and the application of the eternal choice and that historical antiment is wrought by the spirit in our experience whenever that may be salvation sanctification is the work of the holy spirit and another point we would consider is that the holy life is a life of struggle of mortification and renewal and in colossians chapter 3 verse 5a we read put to death therefore what is earthly in you and here the framers of the confession the framers of confession go to what should always be the heart of experience the death and resurrection of our lord again and again the apostles command us to put to death those things that are contrary both law and gospel and also the last um, point i would like us to consider is that salvation the last point we should consider is that the process of sanctification is essential to true salvation and in hebrews chapter 12 verse 14 we read strive for peace with everyone and for the holiness without which no one will see the lord without which no one will see and what we should know here is that god's word teaches us that our salvation as we have said is the work of the triune god our salvation is the work of the triune god and we should encourage ourselves and our brothers and sisters to say with paul that are we to continue in sin so that grace may abound by no means no we shouldn't continue in sin that grace will abound and when we come back from this break we'll be discussing about how to avoid both extremes how to avoid being a legalist or an antinomian so sit back don't go anywhere we'll be back shortly after this break The Youth for Christ team would love to hear from you. So after listening to this episode, please make sure you leave a comment. You can join us on Facebook and WhatsApp via the link on the description box and get on board. So together, we will be at the yoke in all youths. Okay, you welcome back from the break and now we want to talk about how to avoid both extremes how do you avoid both extremes how do you avoid being a legalist or an antinomian how do you avoid it and it is good to know that claiming christian righteousness and holiness is essential to the integrity of faith and simultaneously one of the most dangerous presumptions 
a Christian can make. An important aspect of it is recognizing the dangerously narrow path between holiness and sin. 1 Peter chapter 1, 13-25 calls all people of faith to live a life of holiness. Literally, holy living means that a Christian lives a life that is set apart, reserved to give glory to God. It is a life of discipline, focus, and attention to matters of righteous living. It is, as Paul states in Romans chapter 12, verse 1 and 2, a life fully presented to God in a way that transforms our lives to God's glory rather than conforming our lives to the ways of the world. James further illustrates the concept in chapter 1, verse 27, where he states that authentically righteous religious practice remains unstained by the corruption of secular thinking. We are to be holy because God is holy. Just like we said from the beginning, that holiness should be only unto God. And the challenge becomes defining precisely what one means by holiness. For some, being holy is lived out in ways that may actually compromise or even negate the whole idea of holy living. When holiness and righteousness is lived out in harsh judgment and hatred of others, it ceases to be holy because such hate and judgment does not honor God. When righteousness and holiness is expressed in ways that harm others out of a desire to force one's presumption of good onto others, it fails to manifest God's love for all humanity. Holiness is not trying to make others see that you are better than them. That is not holiness. Additionally, attitudes of righteousness and holiness tend to divide the world into a false perception of two absolutes. Of two absolutes. And um, what we need to know too here is that we should not try to do as much as we can to make people less accepted holiness tries to divide the world in into two in a false perception of two absolutes good and evil this makes it easy for the christian to arrogantly presume that being holy and righteous translates into a reality that a christian is the proverbial good guy amid a sea of bad people this fails to reflect the humility of god as reflected in jesus christ and ignores the very significant subtleties of good and evil true holiness is not reflected in behaviors such as church attendance or one stand on various political positions Authentic holiness and righteousness is not measured by the amount of money one places in the offering plate or how many Bible verses one can recite by memory. Legitimate holiness and righteousness is not defined by the amount of time one spends in prayer or the amount of Christian music played throughout the day. These things matter but they are ultimately only tools of holiness and righteousness. True holiness is a life pleasing to God on all levels possible.
It is a life lived in service to others whom Jesus would refer to as the least of these. It is a life devoted to, as James says, it's caring for the orphans and widows. It is a life focused on extending Christ's love across boundaries of race, class, nationality, language, and education. It is about opening oneself to the stranger and resident alien living in our midst. True holiness and righteousness is all about facing the real demon within and faithfully coming to terms with one's own evil and sin. This is what Jesus meant when he said that before one can remove the speck from another's eye, that one must first remove the log from their own eyes. Frequently, when our own sense of righteousness is threatened or questioned, we can mistakenly defend that sense of righteous priority by unwittingly sinning in the, sinning in the angry or fearful destruction of others. Righteousness and holiness ultimately calls us to trust completely in the holiness of God. It may sometimes be messy and make us and take us to areas where we are vulnerable, alone and afraid. But that is part of what it is to take up the cross and follow Jesus. His holiness becomes our holiness. And many times we focus on the things we do and the things we don't do to determine our holiness. But true holiness focuses on Jesus Christ because He is our true holiness. And now I want to talk about five threats to your holiness. Threats to your holiness. What are the five things that threatens your holiness? Before going into this, I want you to know that God is perfect. He lacks nothing. God is holy. He is set apart and wholly separate from sin. As with many of God's attributes, He desires to communicate perfection and holiness to His creation. And so He did. But there are five things that threaten we being holy. And the first thing is relativism. Relativism conveys that there are no absolutes. This perspective legitimizes innumerable truths contradicting one another. Relativism views holiness because there is no longer a supreme authority. One is not holy other. Satan deceives people into thinking multiple acceptable authorities exist. Ironically, all options outside of God point to Satan. All options outside of God point to Satan. He is the only other authority people submit. God rescues holiness from relativism's view. And John chapter 14 verse 6 he says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. And the second thing that threatens our holiness is tolerance. Relativism leads to tolerance. If you do not accept multiple worldviews, you must be intolerant, leading to the tolerance of intolerance. Leading to the intolerance of intolerance. If you tolerate multiple worldviews and authorities, holiness is diluted as God's glory is shared. God cannot be altogether holy other because he shares his holiness with other worldviews and authorities, diminishing his glory. 
God rescues holiness from tolerance ruins. In Isaiah chapter 48, verse 11, it says, My glory I will not give to anyone. My glory I will not give to another. And another thing that that threatens your holiness is contextualization. In God's quest to rescue holiness, he selected Israel as a light to the nations. He made his people, he made those people holy. God gave Israel a chart to be separate from other nations. By doing so, other nations would look to Israel and find God attractive. Israel failed. This rescue initiative continues with the church. The church is meant to be holy, set apart. People testifying to God's holiness. This is accomplished through the church's union to Christ, who fulfilled all Israel ought to be. Contextualization is when God's holy people relate to their context. They connect to their context in meaningful ways. Contextualization is tricky. God's people should contextualize without jeopardizing holiness. Our holiness wishes to see contextualization abused. Our enemy wishes to see contextualization abused. And in 1 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 22, it says, I have become all things to all people that by all means I might save some. Unfortunately, false teachers use this text to abuse contextualization, giving license to liberty. God rescues holiness from contextualization's wound. Earlier in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 16-17, we read it. It says, Do you not know that you are God's temple and that God's spirit dwells in you? If anyone destroys God's temple, God will destroy him. For God's temple is holy and you are that temple. Our union with Christ gives us with the Holy Spirit, making us God's temple. First teachers abusing constellations are everywhere, so you have to beware. And another thing that threatens your holiness is liberty. Liberty, otherwise known as antinomianism, just like we've been talking. Antinomianism, antinomians, they are all against the law. They say that God's law is entirely abolished by grace. Humanity is no longer expected to cherish and keep God's law. That's what the antinomian says. This makes way for license to abuse grace. Our enemy would like to see grace abused. Where relativism dilutes holiness, liberty dirties holiness. Liberty is fostered by foolishness. God rescues holiness from liberty's ruin in Romans chapter 7 verse 12 and it says so the law is holy and the commandment is holy and righteous and good. Though we are incapable of keeping God's law it does not mean that we should not long to keep it. Here we are prone to ruin holiness with another abuse. So we should not be part of those who foster foolishness in liberty and another point that fights against your holiness is legalism the flip side of liberty is legalism just like we've been discussing legalism has two parts legalism is not attempting to keep law of god it's assuming we can it's assuming we can keep it Furthermore, legalism says God's acceptance is found in keeping God's law. Impossible. God does not accept us because we keep his law. 
If that were the case, God's grace in Christ's death, resurrection, and all the implications is ruined. Legalism is also when people make new laws, parade them as God's law, and expect and expect others to keep those laws. Often these new laws are conceived to protect from sins, temptation, or affect. Legalism is often sown from fear. Worse, people believe that God's acceptance is de- acceptance depends on these fabricated laws of men. Legalism restricts faith. Legalism is a tragic ruin to holiness because it restricts other attributes of God like beauty, creativity, or power. Legalism restricts love. God rescues holiness from legalism's ruin with faith and love. This is accomplished by God's faithfulness and God's love through Jesus Christ. As holy people, we respond to God's faithfulness and love in kind. Galatians chapter 3 verse 11 says, Now it is evident that no one is justified before God by the law, for the righteous shall live by faith. And Galatians chapter 5 verse 4 says, For the whole law is fulfilled in one word, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. So we have to be very careful and avoid this five threads to our holiness. We should not be legalists. We should not be antinomians. We should not try to live in liberty and forget all that God has asked us to do. And there's this very important question I always like to ask everybody. Although it was part of one of my projects when I was a long time ago. And it's kind of a question and I would like to ask it here. And the question is, are you a good person? Are you a good person? Now, the answer to this question will show if truly you are a legalist or an antinomian. Are you a good person? When we come back from this break, we'll be considering that question and we're going to see the right answer to this question. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back shortly. It is what God says to you today. The podcast of the Youthful for Christ team, a place where you hear what God says to you. You are listening to what God says to you today, brought to you by the Youthful for Christ podcast. The Youthful for Christ is the team of young minds alike who are burning with zeal for Christ. We are given the mandate of Psalm 51 verse 13, the Ministry of Reconciliation. Our vision and mission includes, but not limited to, reaching out to more than 1,000 youth yearly, teaching the young ones to be in the world and not be of it, imparting the youth for their vision, supporting them for their purpose and empower them for their mission. Our motto is John chapter 17 verse 16, in the world not of the world, and our slogan is Lamentations 3 verse 27, because at Youthful for Christ, we are known for bearing the yoke in our youths. Join us today and be part of this great work of God. Okay, so now the question we want to consider is, are you a good person? I don't know if you've ever asked yourself this question, and what is your answer? Are you a good person? Who 
what is your answer some years ago i was involved in one competition that involved composition and writing and it's more like an essay it was organized by a clergyman in memory of his late father setting up a foundation in his honor and among five topics to choose from i guess i was only motivated to partake in this competition because of one of the topics which was do you need to be a christian to be a good person i saw this as an opportunity to make an exposition of the tremendous benefits of the christian life i wrote extensively in support that nobody can be a good person without the righteousness of christ because all have sinned and come short of the glory of god we are all like sheep and each of us have turned to our own separate ways but what i failed to realize is that nobody can emerge winner in a competition writing that one needs to be a christian to be a good person in this world that is full of religious religion of human achievements where people seek to be the captain of their own soul and chief of everything that happens within them i wrote so extensively with every effort hoping to win but i didn't think i was among the first five and it seemed i was the only one who chose and wrote on that topic among the many participants come on what was i thinking what did i expect it was later i understood better now coming back to the question let me ask you let me ask you again what do you think about yourself what do you think of yourself are you a good person and can you become a good person by your own merit and virtue do you need to be a christian to be a good person and before you can answer this question it is necessary you first identify the meaning of the key word here which is good now what does it mean to be a good what does it mean to be good and how do you know what is good and how do you measure up to such standard the first mistake people make in determining their moral and their, their, their moral character their moral character and their quality is comparing themselves with others and this is what the legalists do this is what the pharisees do they compare themselves with others and this is the first mistake people make and this is very misleading for example if we have a bucket of water here and you want to check how clean this water is you do not draw out from the same water and begin to compare the one in the bucket with the one you have drawn out that's foolishness you don't take from the same water and begin to compare the same water and so you don't compare yourselves with other people who are just like you instead you get a purer water from a better source and then you can do the comparison the mistake people make thinking they are good comes from the error of comparing themselves with other people that's foolishness the bible said that those who compare themselves with themselves are not wise it is insanity to take out of the same water to compare the same water now let's go back to our question are you a good person so how do you know and how do you answer this question you do not begin to compare yourselves with drunkards even though you don't drink you do not compare yourselves 
with lawless people prostitute and all those who are vicious and commit one heinous crime or the other even though you don't do other things because no matter what you think you are we are all caught from the same material the drunkard will often boast of his charity and the immoral man is thankful he is not a thief the swearer flatters himself that he never lies you can see that we are all a cut from the same material so to know if truly you are good what you should do is that you compare yourself with the only true good and perfect person you compare yourself with the only true good perfect and holy one which is no other than God so in the light of this and in comparison with God himself I ask you again are you a good person are you a good person and if you say yes you have blasphemed and lied and what does that make you a blasphemer and a liar and a sinner now listen to the following words from scripture in regards to this subject in Ecclesiastes chapter 7 verse 29 the Bible said that God created people to be virtuous but they have each turned to follow their downward path and in Psalm 14 verse 2 it says they have all turned aside together they have become corrupt there is none who does good not even one and in Romans chapter 3 verse 23 it says for all have sinned and come short of the glory and in the light of this scripture above the truth is however moral background you might have however religious education you might have acquired from the home or school or anywhere it is never enough to make you good you may be very religious you may be a very religious person who dot every i and cross everything you keep laws and obey commandments and keep everything you are told still all this can never make you a good person the bible teaches of human depravity it is not that man is depraved as he can be but the whole of human race is totally radically depraved there is no one who is good there is no one who is good now let us consider little children who we think that are pure innocent what do you see in them the same total depravity they come into this world as little as they are not knowing what goes on in the world yet you do not teach a child to lie to be selfish wicked and stubborn they learn all those things themselves you actually teach them to do the opposite and if you do not discipline a child and you just leave that child to his or herself what do you get in the next 10 years you get a monster you get a monster so by our own merit and virtue we cannot be good we cannot be good and furthermore if you want to determine this if you still think that it is not possible now a moralist who keeps laws and commandments or maybe you are an atheist or an agnostic or someone who despises god and have no regard for him and you despise this and also do not believe well let me ask you this question and do well to answer them again now can you say ever since you were born to this moment you have never told a lie can you say you have never for once be disobedient to authorities either from home your parents elders or break government laws and regulations or that of a corporate organization can you say you have never taken anything that does not belong to you no matter how small 
can you say you have never born with lust in your heart can you also say that you have never done anything at all either purposely or unknowingly to offend someone can you say yes can you say this and to be very frank we already know the answers to those questions they are all no whether you try to admit it or deny it and if this is true what does that make you the answer is obvious you are a liar you are a disobedient fellow you are a lawbreaker a thief and a criminal an adulterer and an offender and all this mentioned and never a trait of a good person or a character of a good person and if it is true that among all the billions and billions of people that have walked on the surface of the earth no one can say he is not guilty of all those offenses that was mentioned here now how can anyone then claim or think they are good when in one time or the other in their lives they have lied disobeyed stole and caused an offense so it is clearly seen and there is no argument over this that no one not one on earth is a good person not one on earth is a good person so the legalist this is their problem they think they are good by their own merit and virtue nobody is good see holiness is not dotting every i's and crossing every t's the holiness we have as children of god the holiness we have as christian does not come from us it comes from christ we are he's, he is our holiness he is our righteousness we are only holy and righteous because of what Christ has done. You are not holy because you fast three times a week, because you wear this and you don't wear this, because you say this and you don't say this. Yes, even though all those things are necessary, but those are not the basic. We are holy because Jesus Christ has made us holy. He has made us holy. And when you have a true understanding of this, you won't have time to point your fingers at anyone or live a life of sin so that grace will abound. You won't have time for this. And when we come back on from this break, we're going to talk about the word of true holiness. The word of true holiness. Don't go anywhere. We'll be back shortly after this break. The Youth for Christ team would love to hear from you. So after listening to this episode, please make sure you leave a comment. You can join us on Facebook and WhatsApp via the link on the description box and get on board. So together, we will be at the yoke in all youth. Okay, welcome back from the break and thank you for staying tuned so far and now i want to talk about the world of true holiness what are the benefits of living a holy life what do you stand to gain why other youths are out there messing up living recklessly and enjoying i don't want to say the pleasures of sin but enjoying the follies of sin and the lust and the passion and all those things that will soon pass away why they are out there doing all those stuff 
and you who have decided to be youthful for Christ and live a holy life, what are the benefits? And just like we know that the word holiness sounds like an overwhelming, daunting, an impossible task and humanly speaking it is but whatever god requires of his children he also supplies god requires holiness but his spirit provides the power to turn away from sin god calls us to holiness and god provides what we need to be holy so what are the benefits i want us to look at these five benefits of holy living and the first one is taken from psalm chapter 15 verse 1 to 6 holiness fosters intimacy with god and builds spiritual strength and stability and the second one we can find in second timothy chapter 2 verse 20 to 26 holiness makes us useful and effective for God's purposes and the third one we can see in first Peter chapter 2 verse 9 to 12 holiness in your life causes people around you to glorify God when you begin to live your life for Christ when you begin to when you when, when you are youthful for Christ people see it and they give glory to God and also the fourth one is second peter chapter 3 verse 10 to 15 holiness builds peace with god it builds peace with god it builds bond with him and the last one ephesians chapter 5 verse 1 to 17 holiness pleases god and produces fruit holiness pleases god and produces fruit and there are so many more benefits but i just want us to consider these five one this five benefits here you see god calls us to holiness so we can be set free from the bondage and consequences of our sin god also knows that a holy life paves way for deep intimacy with him holiness sets us free and draws us close to god holiness in god's people also brings him glory when we live holy lives we reflect God's character to the world. We become light to we become light in a dark world, and that leads the way to the Savior. We become light in a dark world that leads the way to the Savior. Holiness is for God's glory, and holiness is also for our good. It is for God's glory, and it's also for our good. And it is on it is it is paramount that we have a proper understanding of true holiness so that we will not be either of the extremists will not be legalists or antinomians we should have a true understanding of holiness so that when we live our life we live it only to the glory of god only to the glory of god and all these are necessary for us to know in understanding true holiness understanding true holiness
and so with this we draw the curtain on today's episode and i must say that it has been an interesting time with you thank you for staying tuned so far to this moment thank you for tuning in to the truth of christ podcast and to meet again i say grace to you and peace from god our father in the lord jesus christ i remain your anchor kachko inter god bless you and goodbye You have listened to what God says to you today, a podcast of the Youthful for Christ team, and we believe it has highly imparted and richly blessed you. Please make sure you stay tuned every Friday for new and inspiring episodes.